With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, here we are. Uh, we've made it past the halfway point. Half of the college season is already over. Uh, Clemson still looks like Clemson. Alabama still looks like Alabama. Some things have changed. It looks like USC is good, but not the juggernaut that some people thought they might be. Kelly Bryant might be in the running for, I guess, sort of the, I don't know what award you give to a guy that sort of has to step into the situation, step into the, uh, you know, hey, way to not be crushed under the weight of expectations award. And speaking of the weight of expectations, uh, America, we turn our lonely eyes to you, Jim Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Excellent. So obviously, you know, when people talk about half-season Heisman and half-season, you know, I don't know, Buckus Award, or people never say this phrase, half-season Buckus Award, but maybe they should. Uh, whether or not you want to give it the names like Buckus Award or whatever, or we just talk about some of the best players or most, whatever. I won't get into that. Valuable is always one of those loaded words. But the best players at their positions, uh, at least a, or maybe a couple of the best players at, at their positions, based on the kind of work you do. And obviously, some of the work you do is based on things that haven't happened yet, including, you know, obviously all the physical testing. But we have half a year's worth of you know, production data, which I know is a great percentage of what you do. And then, of course, the film work that often people don't give you credit for doing, but I know that you... It's funny, you do probably 20 to 30% more film work, if not more, than the Just Watch the Film guy. It's sort of funny how the Just Watch the Tape guy, it's not like well, challenge them up they're the they just, haven't seen them yet. The Just Watch the Tape guys watch tape. They just watch tape of the same dudes over and over and over again. Right, yes. That's why I still put it. Yeah, correct. You know, the guy so, that's gone beyond me, somehow can't even have an intelligent conversation about Richie James. Pretty much because I haven't watched Richie James. I mean, I actually have a lot of players because I because I just got done with a major stat. You know, I do the midseason stat collection. Why? Because that it, it is what it is. Like we're at the point now where I've watched a lot of film on guys. I kind of want to watch guys that are being really productive, and this is kind of a way to maybe narrow down the list. You know, so. You know, I don't have to watch uh, a thousand players or four thousand players. I can just watch the guys that are relatively really productive, and you know, watch them on film. And they could be good, they could be bad, but um, at the same time, I do think it's a pretty it. it uh, I mean, when I did this last year, there were guys like Solomon Thomas and uh, you know the, the Iowa defense. There was a lot of guys that pretty much were solidifying themselves. Uh, to say the least, you know, at this point last year. Uh, and uh, you go watch the film of Solomon Thomas, you go, wow, Solomon Thomas is pretty good. And you watch some other players, and you're yeah. like, oh, those guys are really good as well. And, you know, you start to, uh, 
you know, and then of course the draft comes wrong and boom, those guys get, or even Josh Jones, you know, Josh Jones, another guy that was popping in uh, production really well, but on the film of Josh Jones, like, wow, Josh Jones is really good safety ends up being a day two guy. And pretty much nobody was predicting him to one, come out, you know, as a junior or two, or two, even to get drafted in day two, because people, uh, didn't watch his film. They had no way of even knowing he existed, except for me, just because of the production data. Because so, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what it, it just puts guys on your radar. You go, wow, this guy's productive. And again, you might watch a guy and they're really productive, but they don't really, but they're not really that amazing on film. That happens a lot too. But you might also find guys that really do well on film on top of being really productive. And again, those are the guys that, uh, end up being good players, you know, most of the time. At least that's the growing theory that I that, that I usually go with. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I don't do what you do to even probably one tenth of thoroughness, but some of my love affairs, including you know Garrett Saffron and Raheem Cato, came because I started taking a look. And once again, I wasn't sure even which numbers really mattered, but I started looking at. Well, you know, who are the guys who are really accurate? And then I check tape, you know, hey, is this is he really accurate or is there something funny going on? No, oh, no, this guy actually the ball's going where he wants it to go. He's hitting receivers in stride. He's anticipating when a guy who looks open is about to be jumped by, you know, a robber coverage underneath. It's like, oh, okay, for King Cato, Reed's defense is better than maybe any quarterback who's whole darn draft. And so, you know, much to my you know, well, I mean, to little avail, I developed a huge man crush on Ricky Kato. But, uh, I still, you know, feel like if somebody gave him a halfway decent shot, would at very least be a, a, a nice upgrade over some team's current number two uh, quarterback. But, you know, it, it's clear to me when I see certain players do certain things at a certain level, whether or not someone is paying attention. Which sometimes is the case. Sometimes people, maybe because of where a guy plays or a guy isn't six foot four or whatever it is, doesn't run four four. But yeah, I mean, there's reasons that some guys, you know, fall through the cracks. And one of my favorite stories is the, you know, we were just about to draft Russell Wilson story. Like every team was apparently just about to draft Russell Wilson. Is what apparently has come out. Is, is Pretty Russell much. Wilson become Russell Wilson. But he was 5'11". <laughs> so, I mean, I, my, again, my biggest thing that I don't know how to get across to people is you can't think like everybody else, man. You, you just can't. You can't just get into this. I mean, you have you have a guy in Russell Wilson. He hits every single production metric imaginable for uh, a special quarterback. Uh, great athleticism on top of that. Leadership off the tracks. I mean, I don't know if he took any leadership tests or whatever, but pretty much everybody who interviewed Russell Wilson and coached Russell Wilson would go, yeah, this guy's, you know, great leader, you know, all around, you know, in terms of the leadership department. Um, and arm strength i mean i don't know what his gun data says but it probably wasn't that bad uh so you get all that stuff and you ultimately go yeah but he's 5'11 so you know 
even though he had really good production, even though he has good athleticism and great leadership skills and the film is great, he's 5'11", so he'll never make it in the NFL, you know, um, or he won't be a, you know, a long-term starter or whatever. Um, and a, a lot of people go with it. Well, it was risky, but it paid off. I, again, what is your determination of risk? You know, that that's my biggest thing. Like, um, you know, you say a guy's risky when a lot of times you're saying a guy's risky based on nothing, based on artificial information, you know, in terms of whether or not a guy is risky or not, like height, you know. So I think it's much more risky to take a quarterback that isn't productive than to take a quarterback that's 5'11", you know. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I just I just don't understand why, how people don't understand Risk, especially with quarterbacks. I mean, there was that recent tweet that's been circulating, like only 30% of first-round quarterbacks end up making it, you know, and it drops off a cliff after that point. And then I go, you know, a lot of the data stuff I've done with quarterbacks, I probably could bump that up to about 60 70%, 80% in certain drafts, you know. I take out the Jake Lockers and the Christian Ponders and the E.J. Manuels that pretty much failed everything um, for the most part in terms of being special quarterbacks. And yep. you bump that success rate up, you know, once you do that. Because you realize maybe we shouldn't take quarterbacks that are kind of, eh, you know, they're kind of, eh, they're okay. They could be a starter. If you squint a little, they could be a starter. Or even Blaine Gabbard, you know, Blaine Gabbard was a guy. Didn't hit high school production data. Didn't hit FBS production data. Uh, and you had a, a legit debate about him over Cam Newton in that draft. And it's like it was pretty clear based on data that those were going to be the guy. I mean, based on that class in particular, the three, you know, about the three main quarterbacks that stuck out was Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, and then and honestly, it was Colin Kaepernick. You know, was the other guy. And other than that, that was that was what that draft was. You know, in terms of the three main quarterbacks that stuck out, and realistically, those three have had kind of you know. Cam Newton obviously has had a lot more success than, than Dalton to a certain extent. Yeah, he's more successful than the others, certainly. Yeah, you know, Dalton definitely had some success. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I would say it's funny how the business historians tried to sort of push Gabbard back above Kaepernick. Hey, he's starting over Kaepernick, and, you know, so vindication, you know? <laughs> However, the numbers do not, even the pro numbers, I mean, I don't know how, there's no, even their numbers with the 49ers don't bear out the argument that somehow Gabbard over, you know, overtook Kaepernick. He hasn't done it yet. I mean, because the thing about Kaepernick is he had two seasons where he legitimately was a very competent quarterback in two seasons. Gabbard was one of the worst seasons ever as a quarterback, followed by one of not the worst, but definitely pretty bad season, followed by a hiatus, you know, where he was just going from team to team, followed by coming back for half a season, and then now he's on the Cardinals, and he's not even starting on the Cardinals, you know, to, to a certain extent. And definitely shows up in preseason. You know, that's the one thing, Blake Gabbard, when it comes to preseason is, but even preseason's actually not that great, because a lot of times he just does well in terms of, like, throwing uh, – those 20 plus yard, 40 plus yard plays, but isn't always the best when it comes to accuracy or quarterback rating and stuff like that, you know, when preseason comes around, but 
you know, I, I don't know, but I just, I just feel like, again, uh, you know, when it comes to mid-season data, when it comes to all this stuff, you have to, the biggest thing about data and why I think most people should just embrace it is that, again, when you embrace data, you, you basically are admitting that, you know what, I'm a human being. I'm not going to have enough time to watch every single player because you really aren't. I mean, you, you would love to watch as many players as possible, but is it possible to watch 4,000 players in the season? Probably not, unless, you know, unless that was your job. And even then, that's a lot of work, you know, to do that. So data just kind of goes, you know what, I, ha- I know my limitations. This is an aid. It helps kind of spot some guys here and there. And, uh, and again, sometimes the guys at spots are pretty good. Sometimes the guys aren't so good. But, again, um, when you – when you do the data stuff that I do, and again, I'm basing my data stuff on stuff going back, at least the skill position, it goes back to 1969 with quarterbacks. It goes back to 1958 with defenders. It goes back to at least 1989. I mean, right now I've got it to 1989. So um, there really isn't any, I don't know what else I got to do. You know, like I'm not basing this on thin air. I, you know, I, I'm basing it on a, a solid foundation of, uh, of information, you know, and it's, uh, it's just a matter of using that information to uh, to get better, you know, and also find players and uh, go from there. So based on that, based on the work you do, dealing with the players who are draft eligible and dealing with the players that you've had a chance to, to run through your, your process to get an idea of how they stack up, who are the metrical half-season All-Americans? Who are the guys that thus far at least look the most like they are going to excel, not only as collegiate, but, but as professionals? Well, so far, you know, start, I guess starting with uh, running back uh, in particular, there were four running backs that hit uh, all-pro production thresholds so far this season. Um, one is a guy – now, this is the only thing about Rashad Penny. Rashad, Rashad Penny hit, uh, you know, all-pro uh, production marks. But every single running back at San Diego State, for the most part, has hit all-pro production marks. I'm not trying to take anything away from Rashad Penny. It's just that system of uh, at, at San Diego State tends to produce uh, really, really productive running backs in terms of market share, you know, from that kind of perspective. But that doesn't take anything away from Penny. It's just pointing out they they do have somewhat of a, you know, they tend to give the ball to one guy and they get a ton of touches and they get a ton of market share. You know, that's just what San Diego State does. Um, then, of course, you have Bryce Love. Uh, he's the other guy uh, who's rocking about 46% um, overall market share, which is pretty dang high. It's pretty much – at the it's pretty much at the level of McCaffrey really. It's like at that same level. Uh then of course John Kelly at Tennessee and then of course Saquon Barkley um at uh Penn State. But those are the four that pretty much hit the you know, the God tier running back production. So this is where guys like Jim Brown and um, you know not not Yale Stairs, but O. J. Simpson, Marcus Allen, you know, all the sort of uh, Barry Sanders, any sort of all-pro, multiple all-pro Hall of Fame running back pretty much ends up in that tier of production. And those four 
pretty much hit that tier. Now, Saquon Barkley, a surprise to absolutely no one. Uh, I think uh, Rashad Penny may surprise some. John Kelly, I mean, people watch the SEC, so I guess he's not too much of a surprise. And the fourth one was, who was the fourth one again? Oh, Bryce Love. Love, of course. I guess that's not, he's no longer a surprise to anyone. Uh, I think the world has now discovered him. Uh, But, yes, that's interesting. And, of course, you know, Bryce Love starting to get some, you know, some Heisman uh, love, I guess, to for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, if he can continue to produce at the level that he's producing. And, you know, obviously, no matter what Rashad Penny does, he will not be getting any Heisman love. But, uh, you know, and John Kelly, unfortunately, the, the struggles of um, – up on Rocky Top where the volunteers will prevent him from getting, you know, consideration for anything except maybe individual, uh, you know, individual awards such as, you know, maybe the uh, Dope Walker or something like that. But, you know, obviously very good player. And those are four really good running backs. And I think all four of them are are headed for for success at the next level. Barkley, of course, is an amazingly complete back. Uh, he seems to have some of everything. I mean, obviously, they don't use him a tremendous amount. Well, since they threw him, they don't use him a lot of fascinatingly interesting ways in the passing game as of yet. He does get the ball on, you know, your classic little check down and arrow and, uh, you know, circle routes and the occasional wheel. I'd love to see him see him get a little more creative with the way they get the ball in his hands in the passing game. And then obviously they gave him the ball in the running game uh as much as you know as much as you can, as much as you should do so, which is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of no reason not to give him the the football until he tells you, you know, until he comes out of the game, basically. Uh Bryce Love Obviously, is a like a you know somebody was comparing somebody was trying to find running backs to compare to people like Chris Johnson or um, or Jamal Charles and you know the easy sort of cheap easy comparison is people like Ronald Johnson but Bryce Love in terms of his sheer acceleration and top end speed is probably the closest to somebody like Chris Johnson or very close closer than most I'll put it that way. Uh, he he has tremendous top end speed, the kind of top end speed you rarely see from a football player. A uh, little little running back. I mean, it's, it's the kind of top end speed we usually associate with corners or or you know very fast wide receivers. You know, you can see exactly how he tests, uh, but he's a legitimate track athlete. And you know, once again, I mean, Barkley is someone we just all, you know, the comparisons have been people like. Um, um, Ladinian Tomlinson, and that's not, I mean, it's not a terrible comparison, but it doesn't seem quite right. Uh, right. In one style-wise, uh, they don't, they're very different. Right. right. I mean, I also maybe thought of, like, maybe Clinton Portis a little, you know? Yeah, right, like, like Clinton Portis, if Clinton Portis decided to put on another 17 pounds of rock-hard muscle, right? I mean, he's, he's 
he's got an unusually, I mean, great running backs tend to have thick lower bodies, but his lower body is like Mike Tyson's lower body. Remember when Mike Tyson's lower body used to, I mean, Mike Tyson was like a giant muscle anyway, but young Mike Tyson, his, his calves were like 18 and a half inches or something crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's ridiculous. He's pretty ridiculous in terms of that. I mean, yeah, I mean, Bar- I mean, Barkley has a tremendous amount of lower body strength. You know, yeah, on top of balance, Le- on top legendary, of- legendary yeah. lower body strength. Yeah. So he he just has wheels. You know, I mean, there's no other way around it. And a lot of the talk about how fast he will run. I mean, it's just like those legs can. It doesn't really matter. You know, like to me. I mean, if he runs 4.5 or he runs 4.4, you know, because a, a big part of the game, you know, a, a big part of his game is, uh, you know, that ability to, uh, you know, make guys miss and just his balance. I mean, his balance is more impressive than, you know, a lot of other aspects. That's of the, the game. part that reminds me of Curtis Martin. And he's stronger and faster than Curtis Martin. But that's the part where I see Curtis Martin is his vision and balance. I mean, Curtis Martin was a guy that his testing was okay, and you know he was a he was a good athlete. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound like he wasn't, but he didn't blow people's minds in athletic testing. You know, it was decent. I think he ran in the low four five, four five four maybe something like that. And I don't remember his other his other numbers. And you know. Had a good running back build on him, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't Saquon Barkley because nobody's Saquon Barkley. I mean, Saquon Barkley is ludicrously powerful. I mean, like I said, it's sort of like, you know, Curtis Martin and Herschel Walker had a baby. I mean, in terms of the, the senseless sheer power that you had in, in Herschel Walker, but with so much better vision and lateral, you know, uh, agility, because that was the, the thing that kept Herschel Walker from being quite the superstar that he he was people he was a better player than people realize, however. I mean people should go back and look at his actual career numbers. I think they'd be somewhat surprised if they actually saw what he actually did in his career. But yeah, uh go ahead. Tell me take me to another position. Sure. Well wide receiver. Um and this one I added I, so all these guys I'm talking about, I added a level of, of strength of schedule to it just to, you know, just a general, these guys were really productive against uh, versus teams that have been winning, you know, a lot of football games and stuff like that, basically. And so far when it comes to wide receivers, the top guy right now is DJ Moore of Maryland, who's rocking 58% passing uh, market share, which is I, I I don't know the best way to put it in the terms, but that's like top end 99 percentile, you know, passing yardage market share, like Georgia Tech level market share. Because Georgia Tech sometimes usually has guys that hit that level of, uh, of uh, you know, 58, 60 percent. Demarius Thomas, for example, was like, I think it was like 59, 60 percent when he was there. Um, Who else has been close to that number? Or near that number. Uh, well, obviously Calvin Johnson, another Georgia Tech guy uh, who was like that. Um, Mark Cooper 
was close. He was like 52%, I think. I'm pretty sure. Wait, did you say Duper? Is that Duper or Cooper? Oh, Amari Cooper. Oh, Cooper. Cooper, okay. Just making sure. Yeah, yeah. Amari Cooper of, uh, you know, the Raiders. You know, the can't catch a cold now, Amari Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, that Amari Cooper. Um, but yeah, I mean, because he had, uh, yeah, he had about fifty-two percent. So that's, you know, which is kind of, um, yeah, you know, that's a lot, to say the least. I'm trying to get some more specific names. But uh, oh yeah, Andre Reed of Koopsman. Of course, that was oh wow, lower level sort of division. Uh, Andre Risen of Michigan State. He he was another guy that had in that ballpark of um, probably should be in the yeah. Hall of Fame, but but it's not. Six, yeah, he had sixty four percent market share. Uh, Tim Damn. Brown. Yeah, Andre Risen had sixty four percent passing yards Whoa. market share. Yeah, pretty yeah. high. <laughs> pretty high. But to put 59% in perspective, 59% is like Tim Brown at Notre Dame, uh, Lee Evans at Wisconsin, um, Wes Chandler of Florida, uh, Isaac Bruce of Memphis, uh, Keenan McCardle of uh, UNLV, Brandon Stokely. So there's a lot of different guys that are – or Anthony Carter of Michigan. But there's a decent wow. amount of 15. I mean, 59% is a lot. I don't know how else to put it. Like, we're talking he's in the top 10 out of um, – let me see. How many wide receivers this is it? He's in the top 10 out of 1,931 wide receivers. <laughs> that's uh, 19. It's pretty good. So, that's – I mean, that's DJ Moore in a nutshell. And, by the way, he played basically one of the toughest schedules. I mean, so far he's playing one of the toughest schedules in college football. So, um, And he's also a wide receiver that I don't think anybody's talking about, other than you. I I just actually got started into watching some of his film. There's, um, there's a few. There's a little, high, I guess, hive is the term the kids like to use nowadays. There's a DJ more hive out there. But it's sort of like with Richie James. It's small and feisty. Right. There's not a lot of this yet. True. But 58% passing yards market. I mean, Richie James never had 58% passing no. yards market share. No. I mean, uh, Austin Carr never even had 58% mark, uh, passing yards market share. And, again, it just speaks to the fact that it, when you're playing Maryland each week, who's the primary passing threat? DJ Moore. No. Like, if I'm a scout, if I'm scouting Maryland right now, I'm like, we have to do everything in our power to stop DJ Moore. You know, like if if I'm an actual scouting for a team, that's what I would say because of how high that production is. So, so yeah, so that's definitely a good start for him. Um, other sort of guys, Cedric Wilson from Boise State, he has done pretty well in terms of uh, passing yard. He has about 48%. Um, yeah, There's no Cedric Wilson high, even. I don't know why that is. I think there's some people. 
couple people, Boise State people, Mount West Conference people, which is um, few and far between. But yeah, he's he's definitely in that sort of uh, area. Um, Auden Tate of Florida State has pretty decent. Uh, he basically has a, like three-time All-Pro market share, and he's playing uh, one of the toughest schedules in college football as well. I just kind of want to, you know, throw his name out there uh, in terms of adding that to the list. Um, some other sort of guys, Terry uh, Godwin of Georgia is doing pretty well in terms of market share. Uh, Deontay Burnett of USC, uh, Justin Hobbs of Tulsa. Uh, Jonathan Nance of Arkansas, Stanley Morgan Jr. of Nebraska, James Washington, of course. And I guess the last guy to mention would be Michael Holder of uh, San Diego State. He's also pretty good. There's a bunch of sophomores in here, too, but they're true sophomores. So I didn't really want to mention them. A lot of those names were names I was expecting. Michael Holder was not one of the names I was expecting. I was expecting Cody Wilson. I was expecting uh, 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 Deontay Burnett. I was expecting uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, I was expecting the uh, Trevor Wilson's name. I was expecting a lot of those names. Uh, go to the list one more time. Oh, what? Yeah, I was expecting some of those names, but not all of them. Uh, go through that list one more time, please. Oh, sure. Uh, DJ Moore, yeah, Cedric uh, Wilson, uh, you know, Boise State, uh, Terry yeah. Godwin, uh, Calvin Ridley. Everybody knows about Calvin Ridley. So that's why I didn't. Yeah. Auden Tate, Florida State, uh, Deontay Burnett, Justin Hobbs of Tulsa. Okay, that's one I wasn't expecting. Tulsa usually spreads it around a bit, so I, I would definitely pay attention to him. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Nant of uh, Arkansas. Um, Stanley Morgan Jr. of Nebraska. Like I said, James Washington, who, you know, pretty much everybody knows about, and uh, Michael Holder. Um, and there's a bunch of other wide receivers, but it's a pretty long list of other sort of they hit pretty decent uh production levels but they played pretty much nobody like we're talking like bottom and um um treat the schedule stuff but there's definitely some guys like you know Gary Darren uh, Carrington um Tyree Brady from Marshall for example um Anthony Johnson of Buffalo so those are, those are like some other guys that kind of stuck out. We had a lot of production. They just didn't really play the toughest um, schedule so far. Now, no one seems to like the tight end class. I mean, no one. However, did you, did you find anything? Well, some of these names, we, so like Hayden Hurst, we, all, we already know about Hayden Hurst of South Carolina. So you can kind of, you know, like you can kind of take that. And honestly, all the tight ends that everybody loves uh, or likes, I should say, didn't really do that. So, like, we're a couple weeks into the season and Mike Jasicki 
Jasicki hit pretty good uh, market share production last year, but this year he hasn't been doing so hot. Um, just to kind of explain. Um, guys like Tommy Sweeney, not so hot. But as far as, like, guys this year, uh, Jalen Harvey at Arizona State uh, hit a pretty decent uh, market share score. Uh, Caleb Wilson at UCLA hit a pretty decent um, market share score. Noah uh, Tagia, uh, he's Oregon State tight end. Um, he hit uh, pretty decent stuff. And Alizé Mack at Notre Dame. Uh, that isn't Alizé Jones. I don't think he changed his name, but no, Alizé uh, Mack. Yeah. Alizé Mack, I guess a different tight end, um, hit a, a pretty decent tight end production mark. Uh, Jerome Washington at Rutgers. Um, Garrett Dickerson. Now, Garrett Dickerson, as you know, we already know about him. Um, he's, he's more of an H-backy guy. So he's, again, one of those guys that I don't know what to do with, you know, in terms of projecting, you know, because he's such a, you know, NFL teams don't know what to do with H-back tight ends. You know, they really don't. Um, so he's kind of a uh, – they might turn him into a fullback maybe. But, uh, you know, it would be kind of weird. But, uh, but, yeah, he's definitely kind of in that discussion. Uh, Mark Andrews of Oklahoma, everybody knows about him. Uh, Donnie Ernsberger from Western Michigan. Hit a pretty decent mark. Blake Mack from uh, Arkansas State. Adam Brinneman. Nice to see him make the list. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Blake Mack definitely made the list. Uh, Adam Brinneman made the list, obviously, but he's a guy that we've already, you know, we already know about him. Um, And he pretty much played the weakest schedule out of all these tight ends. His his strength of schedule is only a 1.34 so far, so. Um, it's not the, you know, it's not like he's playing at Alabama is all I'm trying to say. And, um, let's see some other names, uh, CJ Conrad at Kentucky, uh, Ryan Juracek at Marshall, who's more of an H-backy guy. But I like him. He's on my yeah. own appreciation as well. Yeah. And then I guess the last guy would be Ryan Smith of Miami, Ohio. So not a lot of tight ends, to be honest. Now I haven't, I have not seen Jalen Harvey, who's kind of the top guy amongst everybody, so I don't really know much about him. Um, actually, he's going to get into more Arizona State guys later this week, but um, but yeah, not a not a ton of uh, Hall of Fame producers, so to speak, but definitely uh, guys that hit at least starter threshold or Pro Bowl threshold. There's there's a decent amount of guys that hit that those kind of marks. So. Okay. And I guess we can't avoid quarterbacks any longer uh, unless there's a, unless you have a separate ranking for slot receivers or something. Not, yeah, not really. I don't really have separate. I mean, what makes good wide receivers is what good slot receivers are typically productive. Good primary receivers are typically pro- There's really no delineation, I guess, is all I'm trying to say in terms of right. um, production. So. Figured as much. Just thought I just thought I confirm. Uh, okay. Well then, if indeed that is the case, then I guess we can't continue on offense without talking quarterback. Uh, one for those who don't fully understand your methodology, talk about how it is that 
quarterbacks are assessed in your in your system? Sure. Well, the way that I do quarterbacks is I I take all the stats, so completion percentage, uh, yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, uh, touchdown reception ratio, quarterback rating, and then I just tested all of them. And I did 10-year samples. The reason why I did 10-year samples is because I want to be able to compare what a quarterback did in the 70s to what a quarterback does in the modern era. As much as people go, you can't do that, I just did. In my opinion, you're basically trying to figure out how good this player is relative to his peers. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, And typically speaking, the quarterbacks that are really better than their peers in any era that they play typically go on to be the better quarterbacks Um, in any era, whether you're talking uh, the the 50s, late 50s, uh, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you know. Whatever area you're talking about, the guys that are typically better than their peers typically end up being the better quarterback. Um, this year in particular, I mean, most of the guys, it's pretty straightforward. Baker Mayfield, of course, is, is here. Um, zero interceptions so far this year. So um, the best touchdown interception ratio that I have on file is uh, seven to one, and that was by Marcus Mariota. So Baker Mayfield's bound to throw a pick eventually, right? But so far, <laughs> so far Mayfield is rocking a, a 15 with zero interceptions. So um, pretty hard to uh, – he would pretty much have the record if, 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 keeps, if he keeps it up. He would have to throw two interceptions in order to uh, – which, again, he, he probably will eventually, right? So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, second would be uh, Mason Rudolph, uh, who did pretty well in terms of uh, you know most of the, the typical data stuff. Um, Justin Herbert of Oregon, of course, he's injured though. That's the only thing um, about him, so that he'll probably be kind of taken out just because of that. Uh, he's also a sophomore, but um, but yeah. So there's uh, that. Uh, then of course. Uh, Jarrett Stidham is here. Not the best touch on ratio, but a lot of his other stuff kind of carries him a bit. You know, things like his completion percentage and stuff like that kind of carries him a bit. Uh, then, of course, you got guys like Jake Browning, uh, Will Greer, Luke Falk. Uh, it's pretty high as well. Uh, Logan Woodside, of course. But the only thing that kind of drags him down is just strength of schedule. For the most part, and that's the other thing I was just going to say is the other aspect I add to things is strength of schedule, and the only reason why I added that that aspect of things is there was a pretty clear delineation between um, guys that play. Like I just added it as a way to kind of even the scales for guys that play really tough competition versus guys who who, who play not so tough competition, and it does a pretty decent job of. You know, if you, if you if you are a MAC quarterback, right, if you are a guy playing in the MAC or you're a guy – like the best example I have is like Steve Young playing BYU in the 80s, right? Um, he wasn't playing the toughest schedule ever, but his production still held him up despite not playing the toughest schedule ever, you know? So, like, it was, it was kind of a buffer. Like, the, even despite 
not playing the toughest schedule. His other, you know, he, he produced so well, it, you know, it's kind of a barometer just to kind of take into account the schedule. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a guy like Logan Woodside definitely uh, performed well um, in the metrics, uh, even though his strength of schedule was a little um, lackluster. Uh, but for the most part, that's been quarterbacks. I, I wouldn't say it's weak. It's not exciting, though. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, this year, in terms of quarterbacks, a lot of them definitely hit pretty decent marks overall, but there there hasn't been like um, hasn't been like twenty guys ending up in like the ninety plus percentile area. There's only five, and I you know I just mentioned most of the five. So, um, in terms of quarterbacks, so okay, got it. Well, that brings us to the other side of the ball. I mean. Offensive line, I guess before we jump to the defense of the ball, talk about what you do or what you attempt to do when you do your offensive line work. I know you do look at starts. I know you don't care about stuff like pancakes or some of the other stuff that I've seen. Uh, Do you look at how guys do in terms of whether or not they've allowed sacks or pressures? or How does your process work for offensive line? Well, in terms of allowing sacks and pressures, I really – first of all, I don't have enough data to do that. Second of all, a lot of the data that's available for that stuff is behind paywalls. And, again, I just don't want to pay money for data that I could get on my own theoretically. You know, um, Theoretically, I could get this data on my own. It just would take massive amounts of time and you know, energy. Um, and also, I just think that that data should be freely available, like every other stat, you know, um, you know, for the most part. But yeah, I mean, I don't really do. I mean, the start percentage from most of the stuff that I've done, ninety percent start percentage is pretty good for offensive linemen. But a lot of that really just speaks to injuries. You know, like if you're injured a lot, you're obviously not going to hit ninety percent start percentage when it comes to offensive linemen. So. Um, a lot of times it just kind of clues you in as to whether or not a guy is injured or if a guy, obviously if a guy isn't starting, that's also kind of a, a flag as well. It's like with uh, Bruce Campbell, right? You know, Bruce Campbell, combine warrior, right? Well, you know, he didn't have that great of a start percentage, you know, when, when he was in college um, because he had injuries. He didn't start as well in a lot of games that he probably should have started in. So that could have been the first thing to clue you in that maybe he might not work out, you know. Um, so, but a lot of times start percentage is definitely something I kind of look at just because of that sort of factor. I've been looking into, I know I sound crazy, but I have been looking into like what they did prior to playing football. So like, were they involved in track and field? Were they, you know, like what kind of sports they were, you know, basketball players, stuff like that. I know I sound crazy doing that, but in just an attempt to kind of get more variables, I haven't really got enough data to really say either way, but that's kind of another thing I've been looking into is uh, what type of, um, what type of, you know, activities they were prior, because I have noticed that a lot of really good offensive linemen, um, just as anecdotally speaking, uh, were former track and field guys, you know, um, when they were in high school. So, um, I just kind of wanted to see if maybe there was a pattern there in terms of, um, you know, playing track and field and then becoming, you know, uh, NFL offensive lineman, you know. 
but I don't have enough data to say yes or no, but it was just an anecdotal thing I noticed when I was doing data. Got it. I think some of that with HIP, you talk about flexibility, you know, and HIP snap and uh, explosiveness. The guys who did, you know, uh, were hammer guys or, or shot put guys or discus guys have to have flexibility and explosion and good hit. So maybe that's where that comes in. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, that one, um, I forgot his name, but that one United Kingdom guy that was playing defensive tackle. Yeah, Lawrence Aboye. Aboye? Aboye. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 because he, he was a, a track and field guy as well. But that guy was, yeah. I mean, 300 pounds and, like, solid, you know. Yeah, supposedly he ran somewhere in the 4.8 when they found time in the 40. He was 300 pounds, and he ran 4'8". Yeah, they could have gotten and he did. Have, have and he didn't look 300 pounds. He didn't look 300 pounds either. I well, mean, uh, he looked 300 pounds for, like, a bodybuilder, but not 300 pounds for <laughs> a football player. You know, like, he didn't really look like that, you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think they've gotten to him, you know, like age 16 is at age 24. I can't remember exactly how old he was. 20 something. I think they might have been. It was 24, 25. It was somewhere around there. Um, Definitely. You know, he was a little bit older. Wasn't really exposed to much football, so. Which happens, you know. Yeah, I figure it's somewhere around there. I mean, it's just. It is really super hard, even if you've been playing football since shortly after birth, to make it in the NFL. So it's, you know, I mean, half off anyone who even tries to make up all that lost ground at the age of, you know, uh, yeah, 24, 25. Literally not knowing the rules of football, let alone having not played. You know, it's sort of like the um, situation with... uh, with um, uh, Ziggy Ansah only worse uh, because, you know, Ziggy at least by the age of 20 knew the rules, you know. He had been around football a little bit. Um, you know, he I guess the, the first football game he attended he was in, or at least on the roster. I guess he didn't like get in the game. But they were at least explaining to him, you know, what this thing is, you know, how it works, what you do, how you do it, you know, how to put on the uniform and all that good stuff was being explained to him. And, you know, there were lots of little jokes about not knowing him not explaining how, how five pads work and all that stuff when he first, you know, tried to suit up. And then two years later, you know, he's an early round, a first, I mean, a, uh, yeah, first round draft pick. So that's pretty, pretty good job of making up ground, but he played a position that isn't as demanding I mean, you don't probably mean or anything. I mean, you can't be a total idiot and be a good defensive end, but there's not as much going on in your head when you're playing that position as you're trying to play offensive line. I don't know why they try to make it offensive line. That's another sort of odd thing. I, oh, I mean, 
it seems like it would be hard enough to do with at any position, but, I mean, offensive line, I mean, that's a really demanding position. Uh, okay, so let's move over to uh, the other side of the ball, defense. Uh, so your defensive... Um, uh, your defensive lineman. Uh, once again, I'm assuming you look at certain production metrics. What are the, the things you take into account when you're figuring out who you like at that position, and uh, and how do you stack them? Well, there's three three main production metrics. Um, one is solo tackle market share, and for those that don't get the gist of market share you take an individual defensive statistic and you divide it by the team total statistics so if uh, a, a defender had 10 sacks and the team had 40 sacks and that defender had 25 percent market share but what you do is, is you take that number and you compare it to every single defensive end slash edge rusher since 1989 and then you end up seeing okay this is where most of the all pro players ended up which most of those guys were 90 plus percent all kind of guys, Derek Thomas, et cetera. Derek Thomas was honestly grandma scouting for data because you just look at his stats when he was at Alabama, you know, right before he actually was coming up for the draft. And um, it was just ridiculous. But um, in terms of sacks and TFL and stuff like that, but yeah, solo tackle data. Um, solo tackle, the best way I can explain it, solo tackle tells you it's kind of a football instincts test a little bit because – you know, guys need to have a certain amount of solo tackles. I mean, they just do. They can't just be sacking the quarterback and getting in the backfield all the time. Sometimes they need to make plays away from the line of scrimmage. Um, and a lot of times that's what differentiates a high football IQ guy from maybe not low football IQ, but definitely somebody where you're wondering, okay, yeah, you got a lot of sacks, woohoo, but you didn't really do much outside of the line of scrimmage. You know, because most of the great defenders in terms of defensive linemen, et cetera, even nose tackles, like nose tackles, they don't really need to be great in terms of sacks or, or uh, tackles for loss, but all the great nose tackles were great in terms of solo tackle data. All of them, you know, were really good in terms of solo tackle data. So, um, which again, I think speaks to that ability to put yourself in position. You know, you may not get sacks all the time because you're not asked to get sacks. You're not asked to get tackles for loss, but you are asked to at least, you know, flow to the football and make plays on the football when you can. And um, the best nose tackles are typically guys that do that, you know, versus sacks and TFL. Um, but I guess starting with defensive ends or edge rushers or I don't know what you want to call it, Bill. There's too many, too many terms um, to describe. Leo position, right? Buck uh, position. Uh, it's got so many names now. Um, but with that position, edge, edge rusher, pass rusher, you know, whatever you call it, um, the guys that pretty much did pretty well up to this up to this point this season, um, Danny, uh, he's uh, all about as, nigger rusher, nigger rusher. Yes, rush the nigger, hang the nigger, stop the nigger, kill the nigger. What? Yeah, well, there we go. 
You may continue, Jim. Well, yeah, uh, Danny uh, e, uh, Izachukwu from Purdue. Um, he's he's uh, one of those guys that kind of stuck out. Uh, ben uh, Bonigou from TCU. Um, he's a guy I actually saw in the Arkansas game, and he's kind of a fun little um, rusher uh, for the most part. He's a, a transfer from, uh, I think, Louisiana – I think it's either Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana Monroe, um, but, but he's definitely got it kind of stuck out there. Um, Bradley Chubb, of course, from North Carolina State. Um, he's a guy that uh, stuck out pretty well, obviously. Uh, you know, Bradley Chubb. Uh, Ogbania Okoronkwu, or Ronkwo from Oklahoma. He definitely stuck out in terms of uh, production metrics. Leo Jackson from Colorado. Khalil Brooks from Middle Tennessee State, uh, Brian Womack from Rice, uh, Sutton Smith from uh, Northern Illinois, uh, Keontae Anderson, Anthony Winbush, and I'll throw Harold Landry in here too. Harold Landry hasn't had the highest sack totals ever this year so far, but he did last year. But he, he's doing pretty good in terms of solo tackle data and TFL data. He just hasn't quite had the best um, um uh, sack data yet uh, this year, anyways. So, right. Well, what I will say, and what I will uh, make clear, obviously, as you mentioned, with some of the stuff you did with guys like Donald Garrett and guys like Clowney and, and others in the past, that often after the, you know, the, the year where they become established as a threat, very often you'll see. For, for you know defensive end slash outside linebacker slash edge whatever turn you like guys a lot of times that next year those numbers will come down or be moderated because teams will develop so much attention to them. And do you think that's part of what's going on with Landry? Or do you think it might be something more? It, it might just be because it's halfway of the season, you know. Um, on top of having a pretty you know Zach Allen who is the other rusher on the other side. He's also been performing pretty well uh, in terms of data, so it could be that as well. But, again, it's, it's, it's about what they do in an individual season. So, Harold Landry coming into the year had everything indicative of a Pro Bowl pass rusher. So, really all this year is about is whether or not he can get into that upper, upper tier. So, you know, that's really all that's about. So, um, you know, what he does this year, I, would, I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but to me, it he's already proven to be, you know, a Pro Bowl pass rusher based on production, and realistically, it's just about figuring it out if he can push into that upper tier. And so far, he's not doing that, but I don't think that really hurts him um, overall. The real guy that I worry about, Bill, is is Arden Key from LSU. In fact, all the major pass rushers, Sam Hubbard, right, Bill? You know Sam Hubbard from Ohio State. Oh, uh, right. Sam Hubbard was a first rounder. Well, here's the thing, Bill. Sam Hubbard was considered to be a top ten pass rusher coming into the season, um, and they were treating him like he was Joey Bosa or Miles Garrett, even or any one of these other pass rushers. But the thing is, again, Miles Garrett going into his final year already hit All Pro production marks. Joey Bosa already hit All Pro production marks coming into his final year. Um, 
Hubbard was below average in every single production metric, every single one, solo tackles, sacks, TFL. In fact, the best pass rusher on Ohio State is Nick Bosa right now in terms of like the best, the most productive um, edge rusher um, is Nick Bosa. You know, it's not even Hubbard. So, um, so yeah, that's weird. But Arden Key is the other one because he, I, I don't know if he's injured or what, but he just hasn't done anything this year um, in terms of sacks or TFL or he probably has had some pressures. I mean, I remember him getting a couple pressures here and there, and I, I do know he's gotten some sacks, but he's been kind of uh, just disappeared. You know, like I don't know um, how best to say it, but he just hasn't exactly uh, established himself. You know, the the two, I mean, the two main pass rushers coming into this year that really stuck out to me on film and, and in data was Chubb and, uh, and Landry. And so far, it's still Chubb and Landry, you know, for the most part. Um, so in terms of, you know, the two guys that kind of stuck out the most on film and, and in production. So um, it's just guys like Arden Key was wishy-washy, and then he comes into this year, and, and he's, like, not even doing anything. And then you got Hubbard, who did much of nothing, and so far this year is doing much of nothing. And I'm just wondering when people catch up to that. I don't know. But um, it's just weird to me. Yeah, I I never quite got the, the Hubbard hype. And I don't know if it's because he had one big game, maybe during some primetime night game or something. I don't know. I I, I never saw it. I, um, I thought that Taekwon, what's his name? Lewis. Um, yeah, Lewis, Taekwon Lewis. Was better I thought that both Bosa's, were and are better prospects. And I think you have a kid there net well, I guess Nick Bosa being obviously but I think that he might be like the third best uh pass rusher on the team in fact. I can't remember the other kid's name. There's another kid who's a younger kid, might be a sophomore, who I think is better than, than Hubbard. And I can't remember the other kid's name, but he's he's not even a starter uh, yet. But I've liked what I've seen from him I've liked more than what I've seen from Hubbard. Right. But yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of the guys that I've seen, I, I, I do, you know, I do like Chubb. I do like Landry. I do like Anthony Winbush from Ball State. Um, I've seen Ogbania and, you know, I like Ogbania, but I just don't, he just seems too much of like an effort rusher or a cleanup rusher or, you know, I don't know. I don't know the best term for it, but like, He's definitely hangs around. He's definitely somebody that I think could end up being uh, like a secondary pass rusher type. But I'm not buying the the kind of late first type. He, 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 he could be somebody like Anthony Spencer or uh, uh, Brian Robinson, that kind of thing. Yeah, he could. Yeah, or yeah, Brian Robinson or you know somebody like that. I think that's definitely there. But I I just don't see the um, the you know, first round, you know, that's the thing about pass rushers. Anytime any of them is productive and they play at a high quality school, you know, they're first rounders, you know, but um, I just don't quite see that with uh, Ogbania, but I do kind of see that with Chubb and I do see that with Landry and I do see that with Anthony Winbush too, although I'd be very surprised if he went in the late first because he plays at Ball State, but 
film-wise, I mean, he looks pretty dang um, athletic on top of, you know, being, uh, you know, pretty fun pass rusher to watch. So, I think he will test well. I think he maybe late fourth sixes, maybe worst case scenario, low to mid four seven. But and I think he's going to have good. Um, what do you call it? Uh, good, you know, three cone and vertical numbers as well. So yeah, okay. Uh, so let's talk about the true linebackers, uh, whatever term we use to describe them. Yeah, uh, pursuit linebackers is yeah, whatever term, uh, the term that I use. But here's the thing. I'm making a case for it. Off-ball linebackers, I don't know what you're talking about. Because off-ball linebackers could be – This is the thing. Off-ball linebacker could be a coverage linebacker. It could be a Sam linebacker, like in a traditional 4-3 Sam linebacker, right? Uh, You know, or it could be a middle linebacker, right? But I go with pursuit linebacker because it's in the name. You're asking this guy to pursue the ball carrier or to pursue whatever's in front of him, blow it up, right? That's what I'm asking this guy to do. I'm asking him to pursue. And uh, with pursuit linebackers, solo tackle market share is by far the biggest predictor of every single thing. You know, whether you're talking the Ray Lewis's, the, the Luke Keekley's, uh, the uh, whatever. We don't ha- quite have a Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley, in my data, was a 20% solo tackle data guy which is really, really high. And, of course, everybody says, oh, it's the system. The system made them get 20% mark share. And then I go, but how come guys don't end up with the 20% solo tackle mark share every year, right? Like, if it's the system that does it, then why do we not see these 20% solo tackle guys? Running? So, again, I, 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 I think system is kind of a meh argument. But, uh, yeah, this year in particular, in terms of the guys that hit all pro solo tackle production marks thus far, in terms of pursuit linebackers, um, and also guys that played relatively strong strength of schedule so far this year. So I just want to get kind of some of those guys out, out the front. Um, Leighton Vander-esque, uh, uh, I think, from Boise State. Uh, he's a guy that uh, did pretty good in terms of uh, production data. Uh, Josie Joel, I, most people kind of you know, know who he is from Iowa. Um, Christian Sam from Arizona State. DJ Calhoun from Arizona State, both those guys. Uh, did pretty good in terms of uh, solo tackle data. Uh, Malik Jefferson from Texas. Finally, finally, Bill, because I've been waiting, um, hit all-throw production marks. Uh, Jonathan Celestin from Minnesota. Uh, Frank uh, Ginda from San Jose State. And he's been on a tear, man. He's been racking up a ton of tackles. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Matthew Adams from Houston, uh, Joe uh, Deenan from Kansas, Jelani Tavai uh, uh, from Hawaii, and Tony Lashley from Idaho. So, you know, those, those are all the guys that hit um, all-pro potential, potential uh, production marks so far this year. So, Okay. Who's, of, those, of that list, who's been the most impressive to you? 
Hmm. Well, I mean, Malik Jefferson's been pretty impressive. Uh, I like Josie Joe well instinctively. I don't know how he'll test. As you know, Bill, I don't trust Iowa guys to run fast. You know, I don't know what it is in the water there, but they don't – it doesn't really matter. They just don't really run fast. Uh, but uh, but I do I do like him on film. I think he's very instinctive. I just kind of worry about how he'll test. Um, I like Jonathan Celestin as well. Um, he's a guy that this year in particular, every time I've seen him so far this year, he's been um, pretty instinctive, pretty fast, pretty good blitzer, can kind of do everything. And honestly, he's not like a Reuben Foster-esque hitter of people, you know, because that was the big thing about Foster was like, oh, he lays people out, and that was kind of the big thing with him. But Celestin has a lot of similar movement ability to – Foster, you know, just in terms of the way he moves, but he actually, you know, affects, like he actually gets sacks or, or actually gets some tackles. So um, he's just kind of a rangy, um, you know, sort of guy from that kind of perspective. But I do like him as well. And there's some other guys that I just haven't seen. Like I haven't seen the Arizona State uh, guys yet. Uh, I haven't seen the Boise State linebacker I mentioned, the Leighton Vander-esque. So there's a couple guys I haven't seen yet, but for the most part, guys like Celeste and Jefferson and Joel are guys that I've actually kind of liked on film. But none of those guys, unfortunately, Bill, I know we keep saying this every year, but I'm waiting to see the Patrick Peterson, the Navarro Bowman, you know, the Brian Urlacher, or even the Keekly again, and I'm just not seeing it in college football. So hopefully that changes, but I just haven't quite seen that guy yet. Hmm. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and that brings us to corners. Uh, once again, a position where a lot of the, the scouting is based around, oh, man, look how long that dude is. Look at his length. And sometimes speed. And especially if a guy's got but ooh, look how long he is. Look at him run. Um, and sometimes other things get lost in the wash. But take me through your methodology for evaluating corners. Sure. Uh, well, when it comes to cornerback, uh, for the most part, two two major data points. I get some some backlash for this, but a lot of people talk about interception marks here. Like, why do I not use interception marks here, cornerback? And, and and the reason why I don't is because there isn't a, as high of a correlation with interception market share as there is with solo tackle market share and pass collection market share. So basically, why would I add a data point that's just going to make my misses higher, right, in terms of, like, how I think of things? So like, I do agree that interception market share is definitely something where there is a correlation, uh, but the correlations are higher with pass deflection market share and solo tackle market share. So why would I pay attention to interception market share? I don't know. Like, I'm not going to miss most of the time. Most of the time when the guy has a good interception market share, they have a really good pass deflection market share and, you know, and vice versa. So I, I just feel like, um, that's the reason why I don't mention interception market share a lot, except when it comes to safety, which is a totally different thing, you know, which we'll get to later. Uh, but yeah, solo tackle, of course, the best way to explain it to like a guy who's like, Oh, why do you care about solo tackle? It's about tackling, you know, 
not tackling. You know, you, you want a cornerback that can tackle consistently in space, especially solo tackle situations. If you think about the NFL, what are cornerbacks? They're basically bodies in space that have to tackle other bodies in space. So you want them to have high solo tackle mark share because that tells you their tackling ability. If you don't have very good tackling ability, that screen pass that's five, you know, that's, that could have been just five yards turns into 15 yards or 20 yards or 25 yards. So, um, and then of course, pass selection mark share just deals with, you know, your ability to track the football and make plays on the football, et cetera. Uh, so, so far this year in terms of uh, the cornerbacks that hit both the solo tackle and the pass deflection, and I'll just throw in the, just the pass deflection types because those guys are sometimes successful too. Uh, but the main guys who hit both solo tackle and pass deflection data uh, that uh, played relatively strong schedules. Uh, uh, two Boston College cornerbacks, um, Isaac uh, uh, Ye- uh, Yea Dome, I think, probably said that wrong. Uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron Moore, uh, Joshua Jackson, Iman Marshall, uh, Anthony Everett from Alabama, Josh uh, Akonyi from Purdue, Holton Hill from Texas. Uh, Aaron Davis from Georgia, Montre uh, Harte, Hartage, I think, from Northwestern, um, Tavares McFadden from Florida State, and there's also guys like uh, Carlton Davis, uh, Cameron Kelly, uh, Ron Smith. Uh, Manuel Mosley, uh, Jared Franklin, and Eric Lee Jr., Drell Foster. I think that's about it. And also Jordan White as well from SMU. He's another sort of guy that kind of pops in terms of data. So. Okay. Got it. And I guess the next position is is my one of my favorite positions, the position that is uh how do I put this? There seems to be a lot of questionable evaluation of the state division, partially because it's I think behind quarterback it may be the second hardest position to purely evaluate. I mean it you don't get to see a lot of things. Um Especially if you're watching, you know, a broadcast feed, a lot of things that you would need to see to fairly evaluate a safety just aren't visible a lot of the time. The ball, unless it's, you know, a certain kind of play, maybe the, if you're a safety and you're an alley player and you're coming up on, or or you're you're going to take a place in man line scrimmage and you know option scrape exchange or whatever, you're you may come up and you know fill it like to fill an alley on in run fit or. Uh, you might cover a tight end, you might cover a slot receiver running back out of the backfield, but the ball has to find you to some extent. Well, I mean, I guess you find the ball as well, but but you, as you pointed out, the most important part of being a safety is being safe, and for that to really be effective, you have to hang back, sort of not get sucked up into the action until you're absolutely sure that that's where you should be. and You know, that's where you get to see the the safe safeties versus the risky safeties and evaluating them can be the guy that's in there making all flat, all these flashy plays might not be the guy you really want because he's also going to give up, you know, that bomb on that, you know, 
plant and go or whatever. But take me through your process and what things you look for, the earmarks of a great safety. And do you split it up into free and strong or how do you how do you do that? Well, I do I do split it up into free and strong when it comes to ultimate upside of that safety. Um and the base and the basic way I explain it is is all the great safeties over the last fifteen years pretty much twenty years um, have different sort of characteristics in terms of their production. Um, so a guy like Troy Palomalo, right, he was a guy that had 99-plus percentile solo tackle uh, market, uh, market share. Uh, he didn't have 99 percentile interception market share, but he still had pretty high interception market share. And he also still had pretty high pass flex market share. It's just that most of his data was on the solo tackle side if that makes any sense. So, like, that's a high-end, strong state. Like, if I was to, like, James, give me your prototype production of a strong safety type, like an elite strong safety type, it would be a Palomalo or, like, a Sean Taylor, you know, one of those types of guys. Um, and Sean Taylor is basically just great in every single thing. So, um, but Palomalo is just one of those guys that kind of sticks out from that having really, really high solo tackle and then to kind of dip in a bit. With free safety, so guys like Ed Reed, uh, Earl Thomas, you know, those types of guys, those guys don't really have the highest solo tackle market share, but they do have high interception market share and really, really high pass deflection market share in both those particular areas, which, again, I, I think in many ways speaks to, you know, if you're a free safety, you're not exactly as close to the line of scrimmage, so you're not going to have as much solo tackle uh, ability, you know, because you're not, that, you know, if you're a strong safety, you're more so close to the line of scrimmage, so you're going to have more opportunities. And if you're a free safety, you're going to be a little bit more back. But you still need to be a good tackler to a certain extent. I mean, Ed Reed wasn't a guy who had below average solo tackle uh, data. He was a guy who had above average solo tackle data. It's just that he happened to have elite interception and elite pass deflection. You know, so the, basically the ability to get picked and the ability to disrupt, uh, you know, the catch point. You know, those were the two main things that kind of made him great. So that's kind of how I differentiate uh, the two positions. Um, and I do agree that I think when it comes to safety evaluation, I think the biggest issue is just people don't have a clear idea about how to evaluate the safety position. You know, like some people might just put everything in the ball skills or other people might just put everything in a tackling ability, which is, well, I don't know anybody that does that, but some people do. <laughs> um, I guess I do. Uh, and, you know, and other people may put a lot of stock into hitting ability. You know, can they hit people over the middle, be an enforcer type, even though that's largely kind of being banned right now, you know, in terms of flags and uh, other stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, but I guess when it comes to safety, I mean, those are the big things. It's just solo tackle, interception, pass deflection, and there's very small nuances between what an elite free safety does and what an elite strong safety does. But they pretty much are – they're both really productive. I mean, both both elite free safeties and strong safeties are very productive. It's just one – strong safety types are usually more productive when it comes to solo tackle data, and free safety types are usually more productive when it comes to pass deflection, interceptions, and stuff like that. Okay. Which I think makes sense. I mean, I, you know, I hope I hope that makes sense because, you know, it gets. I do know that sometimes it gets a little confusing, at times. But um, 
terms of the differences between the two, but yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, without hunters, place kickers, uh, do you have any stuff going on with that? Or? Well, I do have data on that, but I haven't actually uh, taken, I haven't actually looked at the draft eligible punters yet or the draft eligible kickers yet. But I do have enough data to do that in terms of field goal percentage and, uh, and punting average and stuff like that. So, And I already have found correlations between punting average and uh, uh, the field goal percentage, but I just don't have um, – I don't have that extra variable to kind of figure out what, what makes that translate, I guess is the best way to put it. So, like, there's, there's definitely a lot of guys that have really, really high punting average who then go in the NFL and it translates at the NFL level. But then you also have other guys who have really high punching average and then it doesn't translate and, or they just don't even get picked up by NFL teams, you know, at all. And then they just kind of, I don't know, they sell shoes at Reebok or something, or they get into accounting. I don't know. I don't know what punters do uh, with their degree, but, you know, um, but yeah, but I, I have, I do have a lot of data for that. I just haven't, taken it out yet and uh, and looked at the draft eligible kickers and punters yet. Okay. Got it. But it does matter to winning. It does. I mean, I, I was very surprised. I don't, I sound silly saying this, but field goal percentage is a huge determinant at times in terms of winning football games. You know, if you do not have a good kicker, you're most likely not going to win a lot of football games. You know, just ask the Bucks. Right, just ask all the, all a lot of the teams that are losing right now, very bad field goal percentage. You know, in the NFL and even college football. So. Right. Okay. Uh, well, that's all the positions, I guess. Now, do you make a distinction between FBS, FCS, all that stuff on down, or do you? I know the strength of schedule kind of kicks in. Do you talk to me about how you approach guys who are playing at some at a level other than the uh, the FBS level? Well, uh, when it comes to FCS guys uh, and and lower level division guys, I usually take a apples to apples approach to that, where I have to all I have all I really do. I mean, as of right now, I'm still I have a large enough database with running backs at the FCS level. I have a pretty large database with wide receivers. So basically skill positions, pretty large database with those guys. Still working on uh, defensive players. But all that I do really is I just look at, okay, these are success. It's like anything else, you know. The successful guys from that level typically produce a certain way, you know, whether you're talking FCS level or um, – Division three level or whatever, most of the time they're they're much more productive than the FBS guys. At least the guys that that make it at the next level, they're typically substantially more. You know, they hit a higher level of production. Like the best way to explain is Jared Allen. When you stuck Jared Allen's FCS production into the FBS set, he was a ninety nine point nine nine across the board production guy. You know, in terms of his uh, production at that level. Um, guys, other players that kind of translated, you know, from from that level to the next of the same kind of thing, running backs, 
uh, wide receivers especially. Every single wide receiver that has become a really good long-term wide receiver at the NFL level from the FCS or Division Three were typically 99-plus percentile production guys um, compared to, you know, just their own peers at the FCS level. Um, so that's my, that's my general approach when it comes to FCS is that you just have to realize that if you're going to translate at a high level, you know, not just to become just a guy because there's tons of FCS guys and Division Two guys that become just kind of, um, you know, the, the backups or the reserves type thing. Like there's tons of guys that are like that. But if you're actually talking about a guy that's going to end up becoming a starter for you or uh, a pro bowl player or all pro player, those guys typically are producing at a really, really high standard, you know, a really, really high level uh, to even consider them to, to make that sort of jump uh, in terms of uh, production data. So that's the best way I could kind of explain it is that there definitely is a lot of data pointing to like just as there's correlations to production at the FBS level, it's the same at the FCS level. It's just that those thresholds are typically much higher if you're talking about trying to find a guy to become a starter or trying to find a guy to become a, you know, a special, special player, which occasionally you will find, you know, a special player from uh, those levels of competition. Okay. Got it. So are there any other players you weren't able to sort of include thus far that you think you'd like to sort of shove in there? You know, maybe they didn't oh. Well, you know, at, well, as you, yeah, well, um, you know, I put, I, I posted my watch, my metric watch list on my blog at draftcover.wordpress.com, and it has about 275 names on it um, in terms of guys that stuck out production-wise, you know, um, and, and, I, and I put it in school alphabetical order, so it's basically just like Alabama, Akron, Alabama, you know, down the you know, list. Um, the only guy I would throw out is just the safety. I didn't get a chance to mention the safeties uh, in terms of, like, the safeties that really have stuck out thus far in terms of production. Um, one is uh, Lucas Dennis from Boston College, um, Mark uh, McLaurin from Mississippi State, Justin Reed from Stanford, J.R. Reed from Georgia, um, uh, Santos Ramirez from Arkansas, Armani, Armani Watts from uh, Texas A&M. Of course, I think most people are familiar with um, Armani Watts. And so far, Derwin James is doing pretty well. He just doesn't have a lot of – in fact, he has zero picks this year in terms of interceptions. But if he actually was to get some picks this year, that's all he would really need to bump him up into um, really special sort of production sort of area. So – um, that's the only thing that's kind of holding Derwin James back so far is that he just doesn't have any picks this year in terms of interceptions. I got it. I got it. Well, then, I'll get upon uh, some of my guys. Thus far, uh, my at my halfway mark, my all-under-appreciated quarterbacks include the aforementioned Logan Woodside, who... Uh, despite my best efforts, there hasn't been much uptick in people jumping on the hype train. But and, and I realize he has certain physical limitations. He's not really going to be six foot five. He's never going to move like Aaron Rodgers. He's not doesn't have you know a, a tremendous arm. But 
the success of guys like, you know, once again, it's success at a certain level, but, you know, guys like Case Keenum reminds me that there's a place for smart guys to make good decisions, get the ball out quickly, and know how to read defense. Those guys find a home as long as somebody isn't so blinded by the fact that they're not 6'5", and doesn't can for an arm and, you know, aren't great, aren't tremendous natural athletes. He's not unathletic. He's just not freakish. But I hope that somebody, you know, gives him a home, gives him a chance. Uh, but he's, he's the kind of guy I think that if somebody does take a shot at him, they'll be happy if they did. Uh, Jeremiah Briscoe, who is a really good athlete and does have a strong arm, he just plays the same as the state, which is not exactly podunk. I mean, there's plenty of things to state guys in the NFL. Uh, I hope that, you know, somebody, hey, take a look at this guy. I mean, I, I have a feeling that he'll stick out at whatever all-star game invites him. Uh, jumping back to the FBS level, Nick Shimanek at Texas Tech, uh, while he's not a perfect prospect, I mean, he and, and Dalton Sturm are both guys I sort of have on the same level. They're sort of honorable mention on my all their appreciated team, but they both do some things well. And some of those things are similar and some of those things are different. But both of them are guys that I think will probably be camp invitee, uh, you know, have to fight for their lives kind of guys. But I think they might get that chance to fight for their lives if somebody gives them that, gives them that chance. They bring them in. Uh, jumping to or continuing um, last couple of guys at the quarterback position, I am an enormous fan of a couple of other small school kids, including a kid from Ohio Dominican, who I urge everyone to to at least take a shot, to give him a look. Uh, Grant Russell, an Ohio Dominican, first of all, he looks the part. Uh, he's listed at six foot five or something. He's probably more like you know six three and seven eighths, or maybe even a shade over six four. But I'm not going to quibble over that. He is an athlete. Also, athletic guy with a strong arm. I just think, once again, you know, all-star games will be everything for him. But if he gets the NFLPA game or whatever, I think he's going to tear it up, just light it up. And I'd love to see him get a chance at an even larger, you know, bowl experience. He's a really, really big, strong, athletic kid with a good arm. Uh, moving on from there, uh, Lamon, Lamar Renard at NCANT. Uh, Quiet is kept is tearing it up. I mean, tearing it up. And uh, just a junior, and, you know, gosh, I'm NCNT, don't tend to come out, you know, as juniors for, for a variety of reasons, but he is killing the game, as they say. Uh, there's not much not to like. I mean, I don't know uh, what more he can do. Uh, he's been accurate, once again, athletic. Uh, he he does a lot of things at a high level, a lot of things well, and uh, decent size. You know, once again, listed at six foot four, probably six three, but good frame could put on probably another twelve fifteen pounds of muscle. But he's got the stuff you look for, and I'd love to see him. You know, obviously next year uh, get a chance. Kyle Aletta is a guy that I've had a you know a bit of a crush on for some time. I think he's, I think he's the truth. I mean, I think if he gets to the Senior Bowl or if he gets to East West, once again he's absolutely lighted up. And uh, I don't know what, you know, what more he has to do. Quite frankly, uh, you know, what more what more is there for him to do? Uh, you know, he's got the numbers. 
leadership, all the stuff you look for. A guy who's just a sophomore but has made the team is Jake Meyer, M-A-I-E-R, at UC Davis. Uh, UC Davis actually has a pretty good quarterback tradition. Uh, Chris Peterson, of course, who people mostly know as a coach, was a pretty good UC Davis quarterback. Ken O'Brien, who uh, I guess sort of has been the, the guy who's carried the banner for UC Davis the quarterback position, but they've had some others that were pretty darn good. And uh, he's one of those guys that, I guess, sort of fell through the cracks a little bit. Uh, he was, I guess, a little skinny coming out. But, I mean, other than that, I'm not, I don't know what else, uh, you know, people were looking for. I found, when I was looking through his, his high school tape, you know, at least partially because of my association now with you and Donovan, and, uh, and some of the stuff that, so now once again, this is all hand time stuff. He's from St. Paul High School in beautiful La Habra, California. But at a, you know, at one of those high school combine deals, uh, he ran a 4-2 short shuttle. Yeah, at the time, he had a 215 bench, a 375 squat, 30-inch vertical. Uh, ran a, four, a hand time, 4-6, uh, and, and was weighed in at that event at 6'2", 185 pounds. So this is when he was a a rising senior, and he also played uh, safety in high school, which, you know, argues at least to a certain extent to being at least a halfway decent athlete and, of course, probably fairly tough. Uh, he's on my sort of all emerging. I guess he's sort of a bit on the boat. I mean, he's a guy who's still on the come. He's still getting better, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. But I, I think he's going to be terrific next year. Um, who else is worthy of note? Another uh, junior that I really like is Tanner Geller, G-U-E-L-L-E-R, Tanner Geller at uh, Idaho State, the Bengals. And another guy that um, shows me decent deep ball, good intermediate accuracy, good short accuracy, good decision maker. I mean, I've stopped taking off points or whatever for, for... you know, guys not being in a quote-unquote post-style offense, as if such a thing even exists at the collegiate level, but I'm not going to go on that mini rant again. Uh, yeah, everybody's running spread pretty much, so, you know, whatever. But he's got a good frame, probably about six two and a half, about 229 pounds. Uh, not, not super athletic, but not a bad athlete. And... Uh, you know, probably mid to upper four eights. I mean, I'm guesstimating. It's you know, it's not easy to tell off of Idaho State tape just how fast the guy is, but it shows me a lot of things. The only thing, you know, next year I think he'll probably be one of the first, first or second team guys on my all unappreciated team. Uh, he's a guy on the rise. And there's one guy I'm going to throw out who's in the um, Ivy League, which I guess hurts him in terms of strength of schedule because. You know, Ivy League, but uh, but Chad Kanoff at Princeton, thus far at least, is the most impressive Ivy League quarterback I've seen on tape. And then, of course, I guess I can't, even though it's very run-heavy offense. I guess I sort of have to mention Brian Shore at at James Madison. Uh, it's it's not a super pass-heavy offense, obviously. Okay, I will mention one other guy, Hayden Hildebrand at Central Arkansas, and. They're a little more pass-heavy, though less pass-heavy than usual. Uh, they had a guy a couple of years ago who set, you know, all the 
all the marks, all the, all the records there. He's not going to quite approach those records, but he's a, a good, solid quarterback who has shown me, you know, a lot of the things that I like to see. Once again, decent frame, decent arm. Uh, I mean, a lot of times a guy is at the FCS level because he's undersized or whatever. Uh, a couple of these guys, that's not the issue. A couple of those guys are, you know, good-sized, looked apart. And maybe they were, you know, late bloomers or whatever, but you look at them now and you see, you know, you see a guy that looks like a, a legitimate pro prospect at quarterback. And like I said, uh, you know, when you jump down to D2, now once again, you know, the the chances of, of sticking become lower and lower and lower. But uh, the two guys I really like amongst the, the seniors and obviously, well, there's three, actually I take it back, three guys I really like. Amongst the seniors uh, and there, the, the aforementioned Grant Russell, Ohio Dominican, who I urge everyone, everyone to check out. Uh, Connor Jessup at Shepard. And they play, I mean, they play a high level competition for Division Two. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, they play some good, some good football in in that conference. And then, last but not least, is Robert Weber at Humboldt State. Those are all guys that I uh, I think are definitely worthy of. You know what? I'll throw in one more. You know what? I will. Uh, one more is Travis Tarnowski at Ashland. Actually, uh, Travis Tarnowski once again, GLIAC, which is sort of like the Big Ten or at least the MAC of Division Two. Um, he got off to a, a good start when he first got there. He was, the, I think, the freshman of the year on his team when he first got to Ashland. Uh, he efficient. Uh, once again, a guy who got it going on between the ears, which is something I always look for. Uh, he is probably a guy that doesn't really – how I put this? He's got the frame you look for, but he's definitely missing a couple of inches off of what people would like. He's probably generously listed at 5'11". He's probably, you know, 5'10 and a quarter. But he's at the 219 I buy. He is built like a like a undersized linebacker or a uh, running back. I mean, he's got a sick, sick, sick build. But he's an accurate guy, a smart guy, uh, can run. But, yeah, he's, you know, like I said, the only real issue is, is obviously if you're a D2 quarterback and you're you know, probably a shade under 5'11", that's not going to be looked upon favorably. But he's a guy that I think is worthy of some, you know, more love and attention. Oh, you know what? A lot. Okay, one, this is the last one, really for real this time. Luis Perez at Texas uh, A&M Commerce. And once again, um, high-level competition. Uh, the, he's in a, the, the conference he's in is probably one of the better conferences in all of D2, uh, you know, because Texas is Texas. I mean, you know, even... Even, even when you get to the D2 level, that's that's just, you know, he's playing the Angelo States and the, um, I'm trying to who else is in his conference, uh, uh, the Texas a and wait, Texas A&I is in the call of Texas. That, that is commerce now, right? Is it, like, no, it's, uh, I can't remember what they call it Texas A&I now, but, uh, but all those, all the D2 Texas schools, basically, um, to include the aforementioned, uh, uh, Texas A&M Commerce and Angelo State and, and a bunch and a few others, but uh, Luis Perez is a is an interesting person along with being a pretty darn good quarterback, uh, so he's he's fun to um, to check out, and I think that Lone, the Lone Star Conference, like I said, is a good conference. Um, he's got a, a strong arm, maybe one of the strongest arms in in D two. Uh, he's a guy that you know, 
came, I guess, rather late to the position. He'd been a wide receiver until probably his junior year or something like that uh, in high school. And then eventually um, gave up football. Um, he uh, was a high-level bowler, of all things, uh, so good that he considered at one point going professional as a bowler, uh, sort of an interesting thing. And then, uh, you know, he got a quarterback coach uh, after leaving high school football and, like I said, being a high-level bowler. He he didn't know anything about coverages, fronts, routes. He was one of those guys that, you know, come from a wing tee, uh, walked on at a junior college school, Southwestern, in, in, once again in the state of Texas, and fought his way up the depth chart and eventually became uh, a starter there and, it's just one of those crazy stories. Um, he's an interesting story, an interesting young man. I hope to have on the show soon. But, um, you know, lean could once again use about 15, like a lot of D2 guys could use probably about 15 pounds of muscle, but uh, has the arm. Like I said, one of the stronger arms in the, in the I think, in all of, of, uh, of D2, or at least one of the strongest arms I've seen so far, and I, I probably haven't seen, but I know I haven't seen every D2 quarterback. Um, I haven't seen, you know, 10% of them. There's a lot of D2 quarterbacks. But I've checked out most of the ones who play in the better conferences, and uh, I know he's on the NFLPA's watch list, as he should be. Um, he's one of the better D2 quarterbacks, and like I said, he's got a lot of, a lot of uh, qualities, you know. I don't want to say tools, but Whatever term you want to use to describe things to help quarterbacks and defeat, he has several of those things. Uh, so those are some of the guys I, I guess I wanted to make sure that I mentioned. And if you get a chance to check them out, I would urge you to do so. Now, I think there's at least one or two televised Texas a Commerce games. I know Grand Valley has a televised game. I'm not sure about any of the others, um, unless, you know, obviously you want to hang around for the um, D2 um, uh, playoff where some of those guys will, will hopefully be able to uh, to be to be seen. Um, amongst the running backs, we named a lot of the a lot of the dudes, but I will mention uh, some of you know like my my guys, whatever you put it. Uh, once again, some of these guys are, are just smaller schools, or or even you know uh, sometimes much much smaller schools. But a guy that I just don't know how, and he's just a sophomore, but he is an absolute man among boys. Nate Gunn at what used to be called Mankato State, which I think they now call Minnesota State, which I guess sounds less freezing cold than Mankato State. But this guy in six games has put up 944 yards, 135 carries, uh, and a lot of those are hard yards. I mean, he's not one of those guys where, you know, everything's going to the outside, being bounced outside, and you know, he's just running away from people, though he's pretty fast. I mean, I'm going to guess low four fives, maybe maybe a little faster than that, but I try to, you know, be conservative. <laughs> Once again, you're watching a bunch of uh, NSIC tape. You, you don't see too many burners, so you try to, you know, if a guy is running away from people, you try to sort of remind yourself. But he, I like what I've seen. I'll put it that way. Um, he has, you know, a decent amount of size. I mean, once again, he's not, you know, giant. Uh, he's not, 
not huge, but he's from downstate, well, not even downstate Illinois. I guess it's sort of mid-central Illinois, Manuka. Uh, went to the same high school as Nick Offerman, who most people know as, um, uh, what's his name on Parks and Recreation? Um, Ron, um, what's his name? Ron uh, Swanson. But uh, Nick Offerman, who I know from my days here in Illinois, was a football player, pretty decent one, at, at Manuka High School in his day. And uh, Nate Gunn, same same high school. But uh, he's a guy that I think is worth, I mean, I hope, once again, the NFLPA game, hopefully we'll have him on on the um, on their watch list. He's, he's worth it, man. Uh, he's, he's, he's a bit of a beast. I don't know how else to put it. And, uh, it is my, you know, my hope that he gets a shot. Um, yeah, I mean, there's other D2 running backs, but I don't want to spend all day on them, but he's, he's the one, he's my favorite, I guess, at this point, if that means anything. Uh, and then obviously at the FCS level, there's some some absolutely terrific running backs, a bunch of them. This is a really good FCS uh, running back class, not unlike the FBS running back class. And you manage a bunch of them, so I'll uh, I won't be redundant or whatever. Uh, Daniel Smith at Campbell, just a sophomore, he's on my all emerging team. If you haven't watched him, you get a chance to do so. Amongst the seniors, there's Dontrez Newsom at Western Carolina. Really good. Uh, has a little bit of everything in his game. Um, I guess the only one thing he's lacking that would make him a little more attractive to uh, the you know NFL types. He's probably not a true blazer. He's probably not a guy who you know runs a million miles an hour. Uh, but he certainly has enough speed. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> but. Uh, um, Classic running back bill listed at 5'10", probably about 5'9 and 3'8", probably about 209 pounds. Uh, good vision, good lower body drive. Doesn't get the ball thrown to him a lot, but uh, doesn't look like he has bad hands, you know. Um, I guess even uh, managed to complete a 75-yard pass off an option in 2015, on one of those, uh, you know, halfback passes. Uh, in terms of receiving, uh, his best year, uh, at least in terms of receiving, was last year, where in terms of uh, opportunities, he had 342 yards receiving last year, and uh, along with 53 and four touchdowns as a receiver and 31 catches. So if, um, if he, I think he might even, you know, they haven't used him that much this year in the passing game. Uh, he's only had four receptions to this point this year. So I don't know why that's changed. I don't know why he's not seeing the ball in the, the same way he was seeing it. And then he even kick returns occasionally. He, he did it a lot more um, his freshman year, but he's had the occasional opportunity to return some kicks. He's a guy that certainly can do it. But like I said, a guy that has some of everything you like, Decent enough size, enough speed, uh, enough good vision, enough balance and power. And I could see him, I mean, 
in the right opportunity, the right team, the right situation, being a, a guy that can contribute. And, you know, the I know you're not a fan of the committees, but, you know, that's probably what the future holds for him, uh, probably a, a running back by committee kind of opportunity. And then, obviously, you, you sort of cover the, the big-time guys, the guys at the uh, FBS level. But I guess in terms of guys that I like that you might not – actually, you know what? Before I get to them, there's probably at least one other uh, FCS running back I would be remiss, I suppose, in not mentioning. And just a junior. Uh, but Malcolm Summers at Elon is, has been basically been an unstoppable killing machine. And I think he might be amongst, you know, sort of all the FCS running backs, the one who has the best chance to maybe be a, well, I mean, the term bell cow back is almost meaningless. I don't know if it's RB1, I guess, is maybe a better way to put it nowadays. Uh, to me, you know, bell cow back is, what O.J. Simpson and, uh, you know, uh, Earl Campbell did. No one's doing that anymore. But I guess by by today's standards, the uh, he's got some explosiveness. Uh, he helped Elon beat a, a very, very uh, good William & Mary team. Uh, thickly built, you know, probably about five, eight and a half, maybe 5'9", about 212 pounds, uh, powerful, good stiff arm. Uh, does a little bit of it. Once again, does a little bit of everything. Uh, can return kicks. Uh, can catch the ball. Though, you know, once again, you like, I'd like to see him be used a little bit more in the passing game, but just a little bit of everything that you want. And like I said, uh, can, you know, a guy that can definitely put his head down and get you those hard yards and does that. I mean, not just can do it, does do it uh, fairly consistently. Uh, not a lot of weaknesses, quite frankly. Uh, I'm very excited about him next year. Uh, I mean, I'm excited about him this year, but I'm even more excited about him next year. And once again, I don't think there's any chance a running back from Elon is going to come out early. But you know, he would he would probably be my top draft eligible FCS running back uh, if you know if FCS running back came out early. Then looking at FBS a little bit, you may like you named a lot of the, the best guys, guys that. Well, especially he said, you know, guys with all pro potential. And a couple of guys will probably be all pro. In fact, uh, this is a good year. Uh, Josh Adams is a guy that has grown on me. Uh, people make mention of the upright running style, and it, it is an upright running style. And there's so many times when I think dropping his pad level might help him. But he's, you know, a guy that has that long speed and, you know, you can, you can get those home runs. A lot of people have talked about J.K. Dobbins is just a freshman and he's deserving of a lot of that attention. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, of course, is another freshman who's uh, lit it up. Uh, Mark Walton is, is a favorite of a lot of, you know, the draft Twitterites. Ahmad Bradshaw, boy, I 
hope that's not his son. Um, then I'll feel a thousand years old. But I'm Rob, Rob Bradshaw of of uh, West Point, the Army. Uh, the you know the uh, military academy of West Point, who is a quarterback. But you know when people rank him as a possible NFL player, he's ranked as a running back for a variety of reasons. Most obvious being the fact that you know they're not really throwing the ball very much or very well. Uh, other guys worthy of mention. Jeffrey Wilson. Have you checked out Jeffrey Wilson in North Texas? Yep. Yeah, um, I I like him. Um, uh, I think I actually saw first saw him last year against Army. So uh, just to kind of throw that back around, but um, yeah, I I like him. He has some uh, decent speed, um, decent size, and um, yeah, I mean those are the kind of the biggest things that stuck out. He's a little bit faster than you think he is. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think um, speed might be one of his best uh, parts of his game. I would like to see him. Once again, a guy could probably put on a couple more pounds, but he has he has qual. Once again, you know, qualities. Whatever term you like. Um, I think give him a real chance. And if he does indeed get a chance, once again, NFLPA game or East-West or something, I think they'll open a lot of eyes. I think people will, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, at that point, uh, you know, people will begin to, to see, see him more. And I think if they see him more, they'll, like it, I guess. What that, all that was to say, but uh, but he's another guy that I think has, you know, like I said, you know, quality, all that stuff that people look for. He's a guy that finds, you know, finds the yardage uh, that's there and then makes more. That's what you look for, right? You look for a running back who can, you know, get all the yards that are blocked and then find you some extra ones, some more uh, beyond the ones that are just blocked up. Uh, I think you named most of my favorite receivers, uh, with a few exceptions. Uh, there are a few guys, obviously, at the uh, FCS level, including Chris the Kid, Wanaki, uh, and a few others that I, I think are probably going to have a, a shot at, at playing at the, uh, you know, at the next level, and. I think amongst them, and obviously, you know, if you see, as always, how the, um, what do you call it, uh, invitations shake out for the All-Star Games, but I like Elijah Marks a great deal, and have for a while. I had a, seems like he's been on the nerves of the but uh, fell in love with him a couple of years ago. He's still out there doing his thing. I'm a big fan. <clears throat> A kid who I didn't spot before this year, and I don't know if it's because he wasn't playing as much or I just didn't watch the Little Next that much last year, but <laughs> Jalen Acklin, Jalen Acklin at Western uh, Illinois has been well nigh unstoppable this year. Uh, Dantes Bird at, at Tennessee Tech is another guy that's worth checking out. Um, well, well. 
the best guy I've seen in the Ivy League is Justin Watson at 10. Uh, and once again, you always take that with a little bit of a grain of salt just because of the 10. But uh, Terry on Robinson, speaking of Western Carolina guys, Catamount have a couple of good players this year, and he's one of them. Big fan of him. Uh, a junior I like a great deal is Keelan Doss. Once again, UC Davis, the favorite target of uh, the aforementioned um, uh, UCA's quarterback. What else? Who else? Um, I think anybody else was mentioning. Um, Neil O'Connor, New Hampshire's just a junior, but he's good. Uh, Calvin McKnight at Stanford, also just a junior. He's really good. Uh, those are some of my favorite guys. There's some other guys who are good, but those are the ones that sort of stuck out. Anybody uh, else would be a mention. Uh, tight ends, it's been hard to find people I like uh, <laughs> to some extent. Um, A couple of D2 guys where you mentioned, J2 Looper at Central Arkansas. He's He's been pretty nigh unstoppable. Um, guy with speed. I mean, not a – the whole route runner thing, it, it, as you say, as you said earlier, you can't really get on a guy for not doing things he's not asked to do because they don't have those – things to do in the offense that they're in. So you can't say, well, he doesn't do this because they don't they do not do that, right? That's not what they, they do, <laughs> you know? So it's sort of, uh, I don't know, whatever. But he's a good player. And I, I have him on my all-unappreciated team, and I hope that they make the D2 playoffs so he can show his wares a little bit more. Uh, what else? Hey, like I said, sort of a struggle for the tight end. Um, I'm trying to what else. Um, I guess defense. I mean, P.J. Hall and that kid, uh, Andrew Ancroft, are sort of the obvious. FCS guys, and I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel, but they're guys who have a legitimate chance to be at things like East West Shrine or the Senior Bowl. They're they're good enough. They're good enough athletes. They're productive enough. Uh, they're deserving of the opportunity, and I'd love to see them receive it. Um, I don't know who else worthy of mention. Um, other guys on defense that I think have a have a chance, legitimate chance, and the guys I like, you know, I guess both. But uh, there's a there's a few others that I think are are totally worthy of mentioning. At once again at the D2 level, uh, there's a kid named Marcus Martin at Slippery Rock who I think we may even discuss before. Um, he made my own appreciate it last year. He made it again this year. He's just killing it, just absolutely killing it. Um, it has nine and a half, I think, sacks already uh, in at the you know 
six-game mark. Uh, another kid who's just putting up sacks at a crazy rate is Dennis Gardeck at Sioux Falls. Um, and then the other kid who I think is losing is Kyle Kitchens at Catawba, who I spotted a couple years while watching another Catawba linebacker. It's like, oh, wait, they met another linebacker, <laughs> you know. So I've um, been watching him for a couple of years, and he's, you know, terrific. I don't know how else to put it. And then at uh, at Juwan, they have Nate White, who I think he's a, he's a down transfer. I seem to think I remember him from some other school before Juwan. I don't know, maybe not. But he's there now. And he's undersized because, you know, aren't they all? But he's a kid from, you know, sort of my neck of the woods. Nansen and Suffolk Academy. Um, no, Nansen and River Heights, so not Nansen Suffolk Academy in Suffolk, Virginia, uh, which isn't too far from where I grew up. And, you know, he's uh, probably about six feet tall, probably about 237 pounds. He's sort of like a mini, um, what do you call that thing? Um, without the spin move, but sort of like a miniature... Um, uh, what do you call that thing? Um, uh, you know, not not quite creamy, maybe more like a miniature Daryl Pat. Guess it's probably a, a better better comparison. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy that I hope uh, gets a shot. You know, that's the last way of putting it. I hope he gets a shot. Hope somebody brings him in. Uh, love to see him once again. It's like NFL PA or uh, uh, you know even East West Shrine um, giving the opportunity. I think he's deserving of it. Um, at the the big school level, you know, you named a lot of once again a lot of my favorite guys. Uh, obviously. You know, Cameron Smith is underappreciated. He's very much appreciated, but he's, he's a fun to watch. Um, uh, well, there's usually some San Diego State kids that somebody's sleeping on on defense. <laughs> uh, they usually have at least one linebacker and, and one defensive back that catch my eye at some point during the year. I'll have to figure out who that kid is, but I usually fall in love with somebody at San Diego State. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm working on compiling this thing and putting it out in the next day or two. So I'll, I'll do some more work. But I need to with a lot of my guys. Uh, so, Jim, other than, you know, yapping it up with me, what else are you working on? What else are you up to? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you, in terms of other work, uh, I've been I've been just doing everything NFL stuff, uh, college football stuff. Uh, since I got done with the stack collection, I was gonna go uh, watch a lot of the players that popped, you know, the most in, in terms of data, see if they're any good or not, um, and get back to everybody on that. And uh, what else? Uh, oh, and yeah, and of course, you know, most of my stuff as far as data stuff goes is on DraftCoverNetwork.com. And uh, also videos on Common Man Football on YouTube uh, where I've done uh, Navarro Bowman, you know, because he was recently released. 
So I just did a video on him in terms of uh, what his data said, and mainly just talking about the longevity of linebackers because I think most people would be very surprised as to how long linebackers uh, usually like when the when they usually start to decline, which unfortunately is around age 29. So I, I thought it was funny that a lot of people were saying, oh, he's just 29 years old, when that's actually when linebackers start to, you know, when the wheels start to come off, so to speak, <laughs> for most linebackers anyway. Of course, he is a Vara Bowman. It's just that most linebackers typically start to um, break down at that point. Uh, and, um, and, yeah, that's pretty much all the stuff I've been working on, just watching film, doing NFL – breakdown stuff and uh and you know and college football stuff and that's really about it okay well i'm going to try to at least finish my my mid-season version of my all-emerging all appreciated team and try to get them up on nuts and bolts sports and uh as always it is a pleasure an honor and a privilege uh you you put in you know countless hours in the, the laboratory you know, as they say you know wherever it is you the layer, wherever it is you go to do the thing you do, uh, it is a great pleasure to have the benefit of all of those many, 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 many hours that you put in. And, uh, you know, I I look forward to each time we get a chance to speak because you always have, uh, you always have great stuff, you know, I'll put it, you always, you always have great stuff and never, you know, I'm never disappointed. Uh, I'm always excited about the, the stuff you, you put out. So once again, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll do this again in one week, and I look forward to it. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus